Hey guys! Welcome back to our podcast. Um, today we will be doing our part 2 of racism and discrimination in Canada. So last episode we really touched upon the history from um, colonization until more modern times. So we explained the history of racism and discrimination, especially in Canada. And today we hope to go more into detail and basically continue the discussion on how it's still very present in our society and how it's still really affecting a lot of people who yeah. are uh, who are being I guess discriminated against or uh, like racially profiled and all of uh, and all of this stuff. Yeah. It's basically showing how our history is so deeply implemented in our society still today. Right. And I think it's really important also to note that racism in Canada isn't always di- direct. It's very, very subtle. Very direct. Yeah, it's very subtle. You don't always you don't always think like, oh, that I, what I just witnessed is, is, was racist mm-hmm. or what I just witnessed, wow, this person's being discriminated against. It's not always obvious. So yeah. hopefully today we can bring awareness to this and show you how, how it's still present. And even if it's not always uh, obvious, it's there. Yeah. Very well put, Jazz. <laughs> so um, before we start off, I we wanted to do basically... How we continue? How we did it last week? We talked. We talked a bit about the black community and with slavery and how it evolved into social injustices from the fifties and the sixties. Now we're going to continue it on to today, and we're going to do the same thing for Native Americans. Right. So um, I actually had a really, really interesting conversation recently. So I will be keeping her anonymous for the duration of this episode, but I really would love to share her story and what she said about the like the reserves today and how the conditions are exactly. Because I don't know about you, Jazz, but I've never really met anybody or even been to a reserve in my entire life. Neither have I. And you know what? I asked around like to my friends and everything, and a lot of us are unfamiliar with it, which... It's crazy to think mm-hmm. about because a they're so close to us they're literally at, like what not even hours away from us right. like some reserves and it's literally a whole different world that's kept isolated from us mm-hmm. you know and so we're just trying to bring awareness to this and actually show the realities of so many people today so unfortunately I'm I don't know if a lot of you know but the conditions in these reserves are really not adequate and they're not what they should be and regarding things like schools government funding um, educate like education hospitals public services all of that it's just severely severely underfunded and not recognized as it should be and not taken care of as it should be and this is leading to generations and generations of abuse and trauma and um, what the woman that I spoke with addressed in our conversation was the ripple effects like what we said last time of this trauma being passed down to generation and she even refers to it as like secondhand smoking that it's just as dangerous as smoking itself you know and it's it's it really is the case because although these people didn't experience the abuse and the genocide that happened in these residential schools they are experiencing this trauma to a certain degree because it's being passed down to their parents and Mm -hmm. this trauma is literally staying within these families for generations to come and it really will take generations of 
help and resources in order to actually fix this issue. And um, so I'd like to just quote a little piece of what she said, which I found really, really moving. Um, when she was talking about how there's illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder and phenomenal amounts of violence that's forced upon them with upon like the churches and the governments um she said that a lot of the a lot of the establishments at the time that this abuse was going on still is going on today said that their ideas were to kill and i quote to kill the indian in the child but it only actually succeeded to quote kill the child within the indian which to me like just gave me chills down my spine and uh so once again that just shows the ripple effects of this trauma and everything and another thing that i actually would like to address is this um act called the indian trust fund so the individual i spoke to was actually um a, a relative of a member of this treaty that happened years and years ago which i found extremely interesting and so this Indian Trust Fund was kind of in agreement upon the Europeans and the natives to share 50-50 of the, the expenses that were to happen, like to occur on the lands, right? And during this ceremony, there was the smoking of a pipe, which, which for this uh, culture is of the highest regard it regarding peace like it's one of the highest actions to do in a ceremony and today if we look at the statistics of the division of funding and of the expenses over 90 percent of the expenses actually go to the canadian government which like say for example were the europeans the colonizers and today less than 10 percent are actually allocated to indigenous people so what an agreement that was originally 50 50 has now been Tra trans like transformed and trans it has been reduced down reduced down to less than 10 percent <clears throat> and like we said this was an extremely highly regarded treaty on their end and it's it's not being uh, followed and it's not being followed and what the individual and i were speaking about was that if that treaty were to still be respected to this day there would be a lot more funding in these reserves and the conditions wouldn't be half as bad as they would and rightfully so so not only are they are we not respecting a treaty that was of the highest regards at the time and that should still be respected today but we're taking the money away from them and we're basically disregarding their abuse and we're letting them continue to have this trauma just for our benefit to keep their money exactly exactly we're basically using the money against them for for their downfall yeah. so not only are we doing nothing to actually it's like you're literally pouring salt on a wound you know what i mean the wound that you created yeah. by not giving them the funding that they deserve you know or what i mean that, that they're they, entitled that they're to not only to. that they deserve right. but that they're entitled to and so that's a very 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 big issue that needs to be addressed and we hope to discuss it in further detail in later episodes because this really is a severe severe issue so a lot of people just assume like once again that these are 
this is money that people deserve but they can't really get because of a b and c excuses that the government gives but it's not only that it's the government is violating legitimate treaties that have been established for generations on hand so very very important to note um so that was my conversation that i had which i found very very eye-opening and it just goes to show how we spoke about last episode how the europeans basically took advantage of them for their land they got what they wanted and then basically threw them to the curve Mm -hmm. and that's basically what we're still doing today you know and it's really really sad to see how this history is still repeating itself and it's sad because uh as laura mentioned there are treaties and laws and everything that are put in place to to try to i guess uh have equality or or that their their rights and freedoms are valued but then everything else is put in place to totally disregard it and go against it and it's like you can't even say oh well the europeans outsmarted them with their treaties with their laws blah 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 like you can't say any of that because Mm -hmm. they did this is an example of how they were just as informed and they were just as logistically planned out as as the europeans and probably even more right you know what i mean and And they're still being disregarded they're still being pushed aside their rights are still not being acknowledged today all in all this is just one of the many 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 examples um unfortunately there's only so many hours of the day that we can record Mm -hmm. we can go all day talking about the injustices going on in the native community and how canada is really not doing what it should be but once again this is just one one example of how history is repeating itself into our structure into our government fundings and policies still to this day guys like this is like current this is ongoing this is ongoing this is current events like this is not oh this happened a million years ago we should forget about it you know what i mean so and that's why it's it's very important exactly yeah so another example of historical injustices that seem to keep repeating um itself is the racist and discriminatory actions towards the black population Mm -hmm. So this is what we're going to shift our gears to now. We're going to basically be mostly speaking about how um, the education system is not as race neutral as it seems. And it certainly does not serve as a public good. So um, a very I read a few excerpts out of uh, Robin Maynard's book, Policing Black Lives, State Violence in Canada from Slavery to the Present. This book came out in 2017, and I think it's a very good read. It really explains um, how the black population uh, experiences racial profiling and basically just discrimination. Well, you also took a class about black history. That's like right. Black people in That's Montreal. right. And, and that's why it's really important to note how they just really are... They, they keep... Like, Canada really continues to stream them, like, to the side, you know? They don't really... Even though it, it seems as if they do have equal opportunities and, and rights as their um, counterparts, it's not always really what it is. So, and this goes again, yeah. like what you were saying, direct versus indirect racism. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so just to start, I guess, streaming in the education system is the act of separating students based on their intellectual abilities. So here is where individual prejudices and systemic factors prevail because there is a very strong link between race and class and um, black families being amongst uh, amongst the poorest in Canada 
it would be then a mistake to reduce the streaming of black youth and children to an issue of class. So instructors, as well as other students, hold racial stereotypes that may affect the overall school experience for the black youth. Therefore, racism from teachers was not an ordinary event, and it's still not really an ordinary event. All this to say that that a teacher's perspective and attitude towards their black students really takes a toll on their overall engagement, enjoyment, and performance in school. In fact, black youth often feel their presence is unwanted at school, thus contributing to their disengagement in class. So this also leads to, a, like, when a student becomes disengaged and distracted, then, just by the way the Montreal school system or the school system in Canada, the way, the way it is built... Um, a student automatically streamed, is streamed into remedial classes. And this means that the student finds him or herself in short vocational classes and are restricted to learning some sort of trade or more likely elementary no- notions of cabinet making, mechanics, electricity, etc. So they're streamed, f- like they're streamed away from their other peers. And this is a great explanation for the low income rate of black Canadians and their rejection at high paying and prestigious jobs because they don't even they're not even given a chance right away they're streamed into these these other classes yeah. that like are the just structures are are basically placed in order exactly. to systematically put certain racial groups in others exactly they're just not given the proper chance uh, of equal education yeah. due to the, the process of streaming And another very powerful, I guess, theme in uh, Robin Maynard's uh, book is about how, is about this whole idea around childhood and innocence and how it's very raced white. So I'm just going to um, read this this expert on how she efficiently depicts blacks as second-class citizens in the sense that black children have always been made to feel inferior in comparison to their white counterparts from their very first interactions. So, uh, open quotations, as the perception of innocence is a central protection afforded to children, it follows that this social consideration may not be given to the children of dehumanized groups in equal measure as they are given to their peers. In this context, dehumanization serves to change the meaning of the category children, uh, close quotations. So as Maynard effectively portrays, it is clear that childhood and innocence is raced white, like I, like I just previously said. And um, the preservation of white childhood innocence has often taken place at the expense of the safety and security of black children. For example, um, by heightening the surveillance and supervision allocated to the black youth, as well as associating them with gangs and referring to them as suspects instead of as children. And this is really important because this is what's happening today. You see it all over the news. I was just going to say, I'm like, the fact that, like, you're, put, you're like, putting, like, enhanced security and stuff like that. Like, we're literally going to talk about, like, police brutality and stuff like that. Right. And it's like, it all, it's all interconnected, which I find really, really interesting. How, like, you take mm-hmm. something like the school system and then you relate it to what's happening right now. Exactly. By, by streaming them in the school system, this just, it, they're, it really, like... It's a snowball it, effect. It's all, exactly. it's all interconnected. It's really It's just, very demotivating and then... Yeah. It leads to well, no. It's one. This. It's one of the initial things. If you if you fix that within the school system, mm-hmm. then they have better opportunities later on in the work field, and then after they're going to be regarded 
as exactly. more equal in our society and then these uh, violent and racial stereotypes regarding them are not going to be as present because they're actually going to be proving to other people hey we can do just as much as you can exactly the color of our skin doesn't make a difference which it doesn't obviously mm-hmm. so like like we said it's just all interconnected which is really interesting because it's like how do you like just to relate like say for example like streaming in in schools just like say for example as young as elementary schools to exactly stuff that's going on today and as a result of this the uh, an innocent white child could be protected in part by maintaining their distance from from the corrupting force which is basically these black children and therefore due to the dangerous characteristics attributed to the black youth they remain vulnerable and and not so innocent in the end and this also contributes to a large black dropout rate, which yeah. is what we were just what we were just saying. Yeah, because if people are discouraged to go to school, the likelihood mm-hmm. of them dropping out is higher. And then yeah. to drop out, what else do you do? You go to lower income jobs, exactly. You go into trades, you go into stuff like that, mm-hmm. or. I'm not saying in a lot of cases, but in, in some cases, there are people that go into crime because they don't have any other options. And then people see that as reinforcing the stereotype, but it's no one's fault. It's the system, the system forcing yeah. them to continue this this inequality and to continue this repression and not allow them to actually expand and grow out of these conformities, you know? Also, on that note, the whole issue of people like that we see on social media now and in the news of this this issue of defunding the police and we should and we should allocate it to other resources. This is exactly what everybody is talking about. Right. We're not saying defund the police that we we have to take out the police force and everybody needs to stop becoming a police officer. That's mm-hmm. not what we want. It's obviously not it. This That's, is a mm-hmm. perfect example of what we're saying. Like Instead of allocating billions of dollars to the police force and to the SPVM every single year in Quebec, for example, take a bit of that money because we don't need $600 million, over $600 million in funding in Quebec for the police force. We need to take some of that, not saying all of it, we need to take little portions Mm -hmm. of it and allocate it to stuff like schooling and funding because those are going to show the long-term results because they start at the root. Exactly, exactly. If we put more money into the the school system or changing the curriculum or, you know, even having... Social workers or aid in schools. Yeah, this is where it starts. When you when you start, when change is made there, then everything else follows. Exactly, there wouldn't be so much uh, systemic racism in the long term. And like it it works it works at the core. You know, like you 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 beat the issue at the core by allocating money where where it should belong in the schools, in the housing, Mm -hmm. in all of these different systems. Don't do it when there's people that are simply products of their environment and you're punishing them with violence. It makes exactly, no sense. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't mean eliminate the police force at all. Exactly. At all, at all. It just says there's just so much money being allocated to them. Like, for example, in 2019, the SPVM had an operating budget of more than $662 million, which is nearly double that of the fire department and more than five times what the city spends on social housing. Yeah. 
So Which, that's that's a that's a lot. Exactly. Like it, it, it makes no sense that there's five times the amount. Mm-hmm. Social housing is one of the core issues. These right. are where these children and these are where these families are being brought up. Where, in. where these dropouts in quotations exactly. go after. No, but you're punishing people on being a product of their own environment. Exactly. Why don't you change the environment? Exactly. Then you wouldn't have to punish these people because, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? It's it's fixing the problem at its core, and it's not. We're not asking to pay to pay an additional millions of dollars no, and, no. and and switching our entire structural government or anything like that. It's really just taking millions like of, of money that is being wrongly spent and wrongly focused on on punishing these people when it's too late. It's, mind you, it's never too late, obviously. But no. like, you know what I mean? When it's too late, that like instead of helping them to begin with. Right. And then there's this question, well, is defunding the police really a possibility in Montreal? Well, with the report released by the Office de Consultation Publique de Montréal, which is the OCPM, uh, outlining recommendations, but also proving that there is racism on an executive and administrative level as well in the Montreal as well as in the Montreal police um, service that Valérie Plante was actually opened to um, to reviewing the SPVM's uh, mandate and she also announced that she was willing to negotiate and grant accountability and reckon and recognition at the executive level for change yeah so it was only after this report, report. that Valérie Plante announced that she was willing to discuss systemic racism in Montreal, mm-hmm. which is a gr- great sign and obviously a great step in towards improving things. Right, and it has also, I think, a a, a big uh, a big deal to do with the protests that were yeah. that were happening in the city. That's why. So, like everybody who thinks those protests is nothing, that like even in Montreal, that we're like, oh well, what who, like why are we doing this mm-hmm. so far away from George Floyd's situation and everything? Mm-hmm. Well, look at look at look at the results now. You know, like it's right. it's basically proving how mm-hmm. the pressure that we that we put on the government allowed this report to happen and allow Valérie Plante to actually face these issues and realize, okay, this is actually systemic. It's in our administration. It's in our government. It's in these services like the police department, and we need to talk about it. So it's a great, great, great step. And it's thanks to everybody mm-hmm. spreading awareness and talking about these issues and sharing and posting your stories and protesting and doing what you can to raise awareness that these changes are actually being made. Hopefully, Valérie Plante sticks to her word and actually continues this. Right, and hopefully she follows through. Yeah, like I would love to see what comes out of this because now she just has to put her money where her mouth is. <laughs> That's right. Now, the last thing I really want to talk about that, although we're seeing, just gave an example of some sort of improvements that are going on because of the protests and everything like that, um, that the government is actually addressing and might implement in the near future, hopefully. Um, On the other hand, there are uh, some issues on on the legislative and administrative levels as well in Canada regarding Native Americans as well that I'd like to get back to. So at the beginning we spoke a bit about how their lives are today in these resin- uh, in these reserves and the repercussions and the ripple effects of residential schools and how they're not being properly treated. And so now I just want to continue once more 
about talking about a lot of people have heard in the news and recent events about the pipelines that are going around um, that Trudeau wants to implement across Canada. So it's this huge project. It's a six billion dollar project, and it's um, it's basically starts in BC and it goes throughout and it and it transports natural gas throughout Canada, which is obviously gives a lot of economic gain to the government and everything which is why it's it's seen as important as it is today like for Trudeau and for the Canadian government but what many fail to recognize is that this huge project is actually destroying tons of lands and native uh, protected and protected lands of natives and reserves that people are currently inhabiting for this project and not only is it in violation of a lot of different rules but i'm going to be talking about the biggest violation of all which is the un declaration of rights regarding indigenous people which is called the undrip so when i say undrip this is what i'm referring to so undrip was created in 2007 um, so it's a universal declaration that basically protects all the rights of indigenous people. And in this declaration, there's a couple of articles in it that basically protect the rights to their land and protect how they should use it. So um, there's a couple of articles that I'd like to read out. So there is Article 3 of UNDRIP that states that they... That natives have the right to determine political status and social economic and cultural development on their lands and there is also article 26 that states indigenous people have the rights to their lands territories and resources which they have traditionally owned occupied or otherwise used or acquired so these two articles clearly clearly state that their land is theirs they get to decide what they want to do with it and basically all others who'd like to engage or interact with them need their permission, right? So now, Article 19 as well, uh, which is very, very important for the next case that I'm going to bring up, states that uh, any state needs to consult and cooperate with Indigenous people and receive informed consent before adopting or implementing any legislative or administrative measures that may affect them. So take article 19 that i just read to you in mind and now think of this pipeline project that's being constructed so there are native groups especially in bc that are victims to this project that's going on right now and that their lands are being destroyed due to the pipelines and um basically had no prior notice or authorization from them to do this project from the federal or provincial government which is in clear violation of article 19 so that's definitely an issue to be regarded is that there are rights once again there are strict r rules written in stone and these rules have been written only a couple of years ago it's really not that long they were written in 2007 and the Canadian government have implemented the, this declaration into their government. It's, in, it's, it's written in stone in our government. It's, in, it's a part of our laws. And we're completely disregarding it. Just because why? Because they're indigenous people. 
it, why mm -hmm. would we have consulted say for example if this was happening smack in the middle of vancouver it obviously would have been consulted right but it's because it's happening to indigenous people we're not even gonna give them a notice we're not even gonna give them a warning that their homes are being destroyed that their their towns are being destroyed it makes absolutely no sense there was actually a case uh, it was the Chilkutin um native tribe versus british columbia that was a very very similar case as well and so um the government of british columbia did not get consent to use their to use the land before extracting it and basically the the indigenous people of this tribe took their case and brought it to court and this case went all the way to the supreme court and fortunately for them there was a unanimous ruling and win for the Chilkutin tribe and uh, one of the judges actually stated in her judgment that said the title holders have the right to the benefits associated with the land to use it to enjoy it and to profit from its economic development so once again we're ending this kind of on a hopeful note but it needs to be applied in all the other situations where these pipelines are ruining these reserves right because look at look at the the win that the Chilkutin first nation tr like people have have received in this case you know like it's possible to fight against this we have the rules that back that that back their rights up you can take these people to court these today and we could actually there are actual chances of winning you know which is obviously a great sign but we need to continue to fight against this injustice and so I see it as a very hopeful thing because it shows that it's not a fight that can never be won. We have proof right here that we won. It's just that we need to see more of this. We need to see more cases in courts. We need to see more protesting. Mm -hmm. We need to see more fighting back and protecting and and standing up for the rights that everybody has, you know, that these people clearly have. And so not only is it important to recognize UNDRIP and that it, it very much is a thing in our society and in our country today, but we need to enforce these laws into our government. We need to show the Canadian government that these need to be taken seriously. And these people deserve to be treated the same way as everybody else, you know? And yeah, so I just thought this was a really, really important declaration and example to show how once again there is social injustice going on amongst these people and like i said we can go on all day about it but we're just going to limit it to these specific cases and just show you how present and how these are issues going on today you know right like it's not are, in the past it's happening exactly now. Like, this is like you turn on the news you're most mm -hmm. likely going to hear something about this you know so it's never too late it's not like oh there's nothing I can do about it. Whatever happened, happened. Like, no. Like, you can definitely make a change. Exactly. Not only did we prove with the report in Montreal that protesting actually, there are direct, right. <laughs> there are direct results. There are direct consequences to us speaking out and actively showing our discontent and showing our the government exactly what it's doing and showing their injustices. You know, like we have to just keep on fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm and hopefully we're gonna see the results you know like fortunately this episode we're leaving it on a good note because <laughs> right we're leaving it on 
some sort of progress that the government is making, fortunately enough. Mm-hmm. And hopefully their progress continues to be made. Exactly. It's far from over, but it steps in the good direction. So just before we end this episode, we uh, wanted to basically just let everybody know that before COVID, we planned a recruitment event or yeah. basically an information session on uh, our podcast and, and the steps in, that go into making a podcast. So the research, the yeah. recording, the editing. So we wanted to do a big event and kind of expand. Right, it was like a call out. You know, we wanted yeah. some help or guidance or you know new ideas new creative ways of going about it well we wanted to reach out to you guys and see what you had to offer as well right kind of make it a collaborative experience however the event was cancelled and we can't reschedule it until I mean the school opens and the school is not opening anytime soon so instead we decided to create an email account which is uh, teach me how to history podcast at gmail.com and we created this basically we want to hear from you we want to hear uh, if um, basic ideas on what to talk about in our in our following podcast or if you guys have um, any helpful tips or if you anybody wants to help us in our research yeah, exactly anything would be greatly appreciated even feedback comments anything so we created this you can reach out to us on, uh, on, this on this email or once again on Instagram, on Instagram Facebook. Facebook right and we will be posting the email in on our Instagrams thus that it's easily exactly. accessible for uh, all our listeners yeah so if you guys have any ideas or fun topics cool like, like or new initiatives or anything like that or you need help spreading your message across just email us and we'll we'll try our best to accommodate everybody exactly so thank you for listening and thank you for supporting Stay tuned for more episodes.